I'm Chef Pete Gagan from Cargill, and we're in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats. It's a podcast where we'll be serving up insights and perspectives for chefs and food service professionals. And of course, we'll be digging into the world of premium beef. Because even with over 30 years of culinary experience, I still have an appetite for learning more. I hope you're hungry too. This is part two of a two-part episode. If you missed the first part, be sure to go back and enjoy part one. And don't forget to subscribe so you won't miss a single episode. Welcome back to In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Today, we're picking up our conversation on pairings and beef cut maximization with Chef Don Dobeck. As a reminder, Chef Don is a senior corporate chef for strategy and innovation at Cargill and brings nearly three decades of culinary experience with him. Welcome back to the kitchen, Chef. Chef Pete, thanks for having me. Let's jump back into it. I'd like to switch gears and talk a little bit about another subject, maximizing popular beef cuts. So let's talk about being a, a chef, an operator, restaurateur. You know, we, we buy these cuts of meat and cuts of beef, and not all of it is going to be the best presentation on a plate, like a strip loin. We're going to have that vein end on there. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you would do with that vein end, how you would maximize that. Um, maybe it's the side muscles on a tenderloin. There's so many different parts and pieces that we need to take apart so we know we, the customer has the best experience. But we have to be smart with what we spend our money on and get the most out of something. So give us some of your thoughts on that, Chef Don. Absolutely. When you look at piece of meat, whether it be a strip loin or tenderloin or even pieces of prime rib, the hardest thing that I think a young chef faces is that everybody wants to just cut off the great big steaks, the fillets out of the chateau from the tenderloin, and you you have these great looking pieces and things of that nature. Then you get to the parts where it's like the head and the tail and tips that's where really where you're making your money mm-hmm. is on those side pieces. So if you can be creative of, of making a wonderful salad with that or turn around and making kebabs out of that or, you know, marinating in, in, in different ways and, and making it interesting on the menu that, you know, shows value, serving it with a pasta or, or nonki, that's really where you get the bang for the buck. I know so many people that when they're, clean their tenderloins, they're working directly over the garbage can and they're just throwing all of the trim away. You know, they're taking all the sinew and they're just going right into the garbage with it. What a shame. Yeah, it is. Because when you look at that part, there's always a little bit of meat on there. So if you can take that and roast it off and then turn around and feed that into your stock, it just intensifies the flavor. Mm -hmm. And if you just take that product alone and roast off just those pieces alone, Place them in cold water, bring that up, add your vegetables to that, and taste that. You'll see that it tastes as good as any au jus that you can make with bones. Mm-hmm. It just goes to show you that that's where you make your money in the restaurant business. It's not from the center cuts. It's how to utilize all the product on the sides. Sure. I mean, just thinking about what you said, you're trimming all that meat. And if you took that and put it in and made your stock or your broth with that, I mean, that could be one less case of bones that you do bring in, right? Which 
is cost. Uh, throwing stuff in the garbage is never good. Extracting as much flavor from everything, that's what you should be doing. Same thing yeah. with your, your trimmings, your peelings from your vegetables, all that stuff, right? I mean, you have to be smart. This is a business that we don't make tons of money. Um, you know, I was always taught that you drop that one plate and it takes 10 more plates to make up the profit that you would have made off of that plate. I mean, that's still the way this industry goes in most cases. That's the small profit that you work on. Uh, so yeah. it's really important to think about that. And even if you're not going to use it right away, you can take it. If you have a freezer, you can throw it in a freezer. And then a month from now, you have enough where it becomes something you can offer up. And I'm, I'm talking even like maybe tips and things like that. You know, if you're not going through a whole bunch of tenderloins in your facility or in your restaurant, you can at least put things aside put them in the freezer, and then offer it up when you have a banquet, right? You know that I got a banquet for 100 people. I have enough steak tips to do that. Offer it up. If they buy yeah. it and, and want that as an hors d'oeuvre, then you just made money on on something like that that maybe in the past you, you really haven't been uh, smart about in a sense and you used it differently or maybe, maybe used it in family meal and it wasn't you know, the right thing to put in family meal. But yeah, we have to be really smart about utilization and maximization. Yeah. You mentioned family meal. What we would do, we would make prime ribs every Friday night. That was a staple that was on the menu. And then we would take it off the bone and then we would take the, the ribs themselves. And I'd let the guys have those. And they used to cut the, the, the meat in between the bones and then turn around and put in a hot pan, saute it up, and make tacos out of it. But we would have that before dinner service as kind of a, well, there's not enough there for everybody, but the guys in the kitchen got a little something extra. And not only to make them feel special, but it was one of those things where we bonded over uh, some simple tacos before we kind of go into battle. Because sure. oh, you know, yeah. when you're feeding 200 people in the course of a couple hours, you have to move. Mm -hmm. And it isn't one of those things that were, I, I wish I could say it was pretty and it was fluent. It was a battle. You know, you're going in and you're just pushing out food. And you mentioned, you know, dropping in plates. That was something that you you didn't talk about and you didn't want to have happen because it would throw everything off because you just had to stay on track. Because, you know, if one plate's off, that whole table is off. Mm -hmm. And it could screw up an evening really quick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've got memories of those days. So back to the maximization or utilization, you know, uh, I'd love to hear what you do with, say, a strip loin. You know, that vein end is probably one of those things because it's a— 20% of that strip loin, some a little bit more, some a little less. Um, but there's a lot you can do with that for your menu, knowing you have that much. Again, the tips and things, little small trimming here and there may not be enough to make a meal off of other cuts. But you definitely have an opportunity here to put something else on a menu or a bar menu and utilize that whole strip. So what are some of your ideas? When you look at it, from the standpoint of that, that vein end, you've got that small top muscle. It's kind of rounded uh, just because it's cupped. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you can actually make a steak out of that and, and grill it and then slice that, you know, real thin and then place that on top of a salad. It's a wonderful tender piece of meat. And then that bottom muscle that's, uh, you know, elongated U-shape, although you can't serve it as a steak, you can still use it in applications, whether it be uh, put it on skewers. Uh, you can cut that in half and make almost like little mini steaks out of it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, serve that where the vegetable becomes front and center. So if you're talking about the height of summer, you know, you've got these beautiful tomatoes coming in. You can place the tomatoes on the plate, put a little bit of shaved red onion in there, basil, nice vinaigrette. And then you take just those little pieces of beef, those almost like mini strip steaks, and you place that on top of that. Then it becomes a wonderful dish for somebody that just doesn't want 12 to 16 ounces worth of beef, right? Sure. Where they want the flavor, but they just don't need all that. You know, and and I guess if you price things right, too, you know, you have to think about if you need to. No one wants to take something off a menu and you have— eight orders or so, but you want to make someone happy, you, you can still take a strip steak that you cut and cut it down smaller and still offer that same experience. Because ultimately, that bottom muscle, after you took that other one off, is still the same muscle as the whole strip steak. Oh, absolutely. It's just not as pretty, right? Yeah, exactly. So you, you have, we have to manipulate things sometimes and cut things differently than the norm. Right. Like I love taking a strip loin and cutting it in Manhattan's. Right. So you cut it down the middle and now you have more of a loin like a tenderloin would be the size. Uh, Now Mm -hmm. you can cut smaller strips, but you could still cut them nice and thick if you want, almost like a filet would be. It's great for roasting. And in that case, I tend to leave everything on there. I don't even cut that vein end piece off. I'll cut that scoop out that top muscle. But if it's especially for carving or something, that whole loin will will work well out on a station and still be delicious and, and cut all the way through. So uh, manipulating, and maybe that's not the, the best word, but sometimes we have to do that. Uh, but it also offers up a different experience for the customer. You're absolutely right. So you would take the entire strip line and rather than cutting into your New York strip steaks that you're used to, you cut it the length of the steak and then sear that off and roast that and then use those for wine dinners where you want a little bit more of that rich beef, but um, you don't want a a large piece of meat. And that's when you turn around and, you know, you might have like a piece of braised meat underneath it, and then a nice slice of the roasted beef mm. on top of that. And then you just serve that with your vegetables and starches and so on and so forth. Yummy. I, I guess mm-hmm. I want to touch on product utilization. So we always have family meal, right? That's, that's just something that we do in the restaurant. You want people to be able to eat because of some of those trimmings. And, you know, typically you're using product. It all depends upon where you work. But you're using maybe some of those uh, less utilized pieces. Or in this case, you know, I if I had a small restaurant, then maybe some of those vein ends of the strips we were talking about, we would utilize that meat for that family meal. Because you want to feed people. You want to make sure that they they have good nourishment prior to going into battle, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, But I would love to hear some ideas for product utilization and then touch a little bit more on what I think is a great way to do things where you're not just the chef, executive chef of the restaurant puts things on the menu, but people get to bring themselves to work and and maybe it's their 
heritage, something that they ate growing up, and they they serve it as family meal, and everybody loves it. And then eventually, it makes it on a menu. How that feels for that person, and and the fact that it's not their restaurant, but their products on the menu. To me, that like is pride that you can't give with just a paycheck, right? I mean, it's it's one of those things that really gets people to enjoy their job more. So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about some of your experiences with that. Well, I'll start with the staff. You have individuals that, again, a club is, is seasonal. Some of my guys were with me from the duration. So I had guys in the kitchen that were with me for over 20 some odd years. And then you would have individuals that were, you know, kind of transients where they come in for the summer and then they would leave and never see them again. And then there was a portion of the staff that was, you know, uh, culinary interns. And again, what would end up happening is, is you would just have this blend of individuals that you wouldn't normally think would work together, but it just did. So you would have the stability of these guys that were there year in and year out. And then you would have these young kids that were just full of energy and all these great ideas. And so it became like this competition where the young kids, they had all these you know, ideas because they saw it on the, these food channels and you know they saw it at their culinary schools and they just wanted to try everything. And then you had these the other guys that just knew flavors that just worked and they were tried and true. These thoughts and ideas would just come together where the intern might come up with some kind of crazy little thing and then uh, guys would feed that into you know whatever. And then and it turned out to be an item that was on the menu for quite some time. Mm-hmm. That's the part that created the energy in the kitchen that wanted people to come in day after day, and not only as a diner, but, you know, from the kitchen itself. I mean, it's grueling. I mean, when you're working six days a week, if there's a, you know, Monday outing, you're there. So you can go two, three weeks without a day off. And you have to have something that energizes you and makes you want to come back day after day. And when you feel like you're contributing to the menu and you're part of the concept, I think you create a stronger kitchen. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, we talk about squeezing profits out of product. Let me reiterate here that this is not about, like, just getting junk out of something. You're still using a really good healthy, uh, nourishing piece of food, whether it's meat or vegetable or something. You, you're extracting more flavor you're, and, and ultimately, at the end of the day, some profit out of something. But what other ingredients outside of, say, uh, meat that you've extracted, maybe even something that you used to throw away and, and you started putting on a menu, Any, anything like that? Off the top of my head, the first thing that I can think of is the little tenderloin tails. Mm-hmm. It started with uh, how to maximize those. And um, I, I would cut the length of it and then cut it again length and then just put those on a skewer and make satays. Although it doesn't sound you know that creative, that was an appetizer which served with a peanut sauce that I could turn around and get. 12 bucks for, you know, I was smiling all day long because I was able to utilize and uh, it sold really well. I mean, again, that's great. Uh, An appetizer that you're getting $12 for, I'm sure that didn't have a lot of cost going into it. Um, No, because, you know, as I mentioned before, you're making up the cost on your centers and everything else after that is just gravy. So when you can take an item that you're going to sell 15 and 20 of a night consistently, it becomes beneficial. 
Oh, there's no doubt it does. So any other items, like um, even like fish? Is there some way that you've taken the fillets off of fish and, and scraped the meat off the bones? Yeah, why? I didn't think you were going to ask that. But yeah, what we would do is we take the salmons. And um, after you clean your salmon and you know get all your portions ready to go, you would have all that belly fat. And then you would have that meat that was left on the bone. And what we would do is we would take that and uh, we would smoke it. Ooh. So the, the meat that was on the bone was a little bit on the dry side, but the belly fat was amazing. So when you combine those two together and add a little bit of cream cheese to that, we'd whip a little bit of brie in there too, just mm-hmm. to make it a little bit more you know decadent and rich and kind of creamy. You serve that as an appetizer. Again, it's just free money. So you just smoke the whole carcass as is, or would you pull all that off and then smoke it? Usually we'd uh, just go ahead and smoke the bones as is, okay, okay. and then line up the bellies on sheet trays, and then smoke everything together, and then combine everything, and, mm-hmm. and just depending on how much you had, whether it be in the buffalo chopper or, you know, uh, Roboku. Uh-huh. No, that's great. I mean, the the, hard, the hardest thing, honestly, on that stuff is just picking out the bones. So you have to just be kind of diligent about making sure when you start scraping that stuff. No doubt. But, that, I mean, that's just a great way to get the most out of something. I've scraped salmon bones so many times, but I've ne- I never actually cooked it first and then scraped it. So that's that's just a, another way of going about it. I like that. Well, as I mentioned, it's a little grainy, the stuff on the bones. But when you mix it with that belly yeah. fat that's just so fatty, sure. you get the perfect blend. It's kind of like your chuck steak, right? When you're making, you know, we, you know that's what most burgers are made of, you know, is that, that 80-20 rule, right? It's the same kind of principle where you have, you know, this great lean meat and then you have this fattiness and then two of them, you make the perfect burger patty. And yep. I think the 80-20 rule is there's variations off of that, but that's what hamburgers are. I, you got to make it palatable, right? I mean, and you're adding that salmon into cream cheese and brie too, right? So that, mm-hmm. that that gets you that opportunity to use some of that drier meat also. Yeah, it gets you that, that fatty richness, butteriness. They're never going to have that. And I'm sure mm-hmm. that's, you know, whatever, you're, however you're going to serve that, that's, that's just profit, right? You know, you put that out there and whether it's at a party or it's part of an appetizer dish or just on, at the bar, again, that's lost money if someone just throws that carcass in the garbage when they're done. Yeah. You know, I mean, this, the bellies, again, not, not something you're keeping on. Everybody always trims that belly off when they're making their salmon fillets. So you, you got to use it. That's how you make profit. Same thing, no matter, no matter what you're bringing in, try to utilize 100% of it, 99% of it. Because, again, it's, it's flavor you're throwing away. It's money you're throwing away. Try to work that in. Well, and we would take watermelon rinds, right? You, mm-hmm. you clean the, the watermelons and put those on your fruit trays and things of that nature for the ladies' locker room and this, that, and the other. And then you'd have all you know these rinds. And it was the same thing where this stuff would just go right in the garbage can. And then we started pickling them and turn around and we, you know, use that uh, as part of the salad. It would just give an additional component to the salad that just made it pop. And it was interesting because it was like, oh, oh, I've never had a, you know, pickled watermelon rind, you know? Uh, delicious. And then at the end of the day, I mean, if you're adding that to that salad already, right? So, so you bring in one less watermelon now <laughs> on top of it because you're utilizing that whole watermelon. So there's, there's yeah. less cost in general. You're, you're shelling out less money and you're, you're, you're making more money at the end of the day. 
Yeah. And everybody's always looking for that little extra, right? When you write a menu and you want to add components that make sense, but you want to have things in there that are interesting as well. So it just doesn't sound like, oh, I could have made that at home, right? Exactly. And just those subtle little additions can make it a little bit more interesting for the guest. That's so true. I mean, like you said, if there's that that extra know-how, that extra labor the, that you put into that dish, it's going to make a difference, right? Because if it's just if it's watermelon and, and feta, and and that's that's your dish, I can do that at home and not pay all yeah. that money. But now you start adding the pickled watermelon rinds into that dish, or you know whatever it might be. I'm not doing that at home. I mean, just in general, that's the way people think. That's that's. I go to you for that. I go to your restaurant for that extra experience. So that that's what we need to deliver, and that's what's going to keep people coming in the doors. Yeah, it's all about knife cuts, right? How can I make it look interesting? Mm-hmm. So you said, well, watermelon feta cell. Well, why can't I do a, a watermelon soup, but then put thick batonets of watermelon on the bottom of that with a little bit of. Uh, crumbled feta on there. So now I have this wonderful watermelon soup with these pieces of watermelon in there. It just makes it more interesting, right? Definitely. That's why we love our job, right? We get to make a lot of interesting, cool things uh, and use the skills that we've honed over the years to do it. So we could probably talk about every ingredient out there and ways to maximize it, but the point is out there that you really need to spend time and and think about how do I extract the most out of that, whether it's flavor or profit or both, actually. Now we're getting to the end of, of our discussion, and there's something I always ask everybody that's been on, and I can't wait to hear what you have to say, Don, but we're talking beef, and we were talking about pairings, whether it's vegetables, starches, sauces, wines. I'm sure you have a cut of beef that you love to prepare at home and serve to your family and friends. The listeners would love to hear that, too. What is it? Well, I'll tell you what. Yeah, you can say what you want to say, but I like the culotte. It has so much flavor in there. I like the beef chew. You get to a point where you, you have you know the, the tenderloins, you have the strip loins, but I love the texture. I love the chew. I love grilling it and then making the whole meal on the grill outside and then being able to slice that and then have my grilled vegetables with it, drizzle it with a little bit of olive oil, fresh sea salt. You're good to go. So the... Um you're cooking at home, typically? I do. And the way I usually do it is is that I start with a really hot grill. I mark it on both sides. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I move it over to the one side of the grill, turn down the temperature, and just cook it to 120 degrees. Sure. And just slow roast it. So it already has those charred notes. But then, you know, you get that perfect medium rare center. Mm-hmm. So then when you go after it rests and you slice it, it just slices up so well. Do you like it with the fat cap still on or do you take it off? Because I've seen it done both ways. Yeah, so I trim a little bit of fat cap off, uh, probably about half of it. And then I score it, much like I would score a, a duck breast, right? Kind of do that crisscross pattern. Mm-hmm. That way the, the salt and pepper can kind of work into the meat. Yep. And place that on the grill, grill it off, 
really good stuff. Yeah, for everyone out there that's listening, if you're not familiar with the culotte, that's the top cap on the top sirloin. It's a popular name also from Brazil. They call it picanha. Um, so it's probably a three-pound or so piece of meat. It's a little triangular in shape. It's amazing. You can cut little steaks out of it and, and cook it that way, but roasting it, like Don mentioned here, uh, or slow grill slash uh, roast on the side, that's just one of the best ways. Um, it sous vide's well, too, and, and, and then you finish it off. Or um, I've also seen it cooked really rare and then sliced and then slap back on a hot grill. So it's like mm. you, you get it cooked 75, 80% of the way, slice it, and then give it a quick grill for a steak. It's another way to do it. Um, but it's an, it's really, really, really special. If you go to a Brazilian restaurant, it's that one that's, you know, bent over and shaped like a C. You know, they've cut it that way, and they stick it on the uh, sword or the skewer. Uh, but you me- you mentioned it's out of that top sirloin. To me, it's 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 got enough marbling still that it's got amazing flavor but but you're still in that sirloin flavor so it's it's it has a little bit of those uh beefier tones to it i think um yeah it's it's still it's still lean but indulgent at the same time where sometimes you just have indulgence right with with your ribeyes and 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 so forth and you know you get a couple irony cuts here and there up in the chuck area but you, you get down to more that uh i guess i wouldn't say it's in your face irony but it's it's a different type of beef flavor. That's why the animal's amazing, because it's not like other animals out there that taste more or less the same from nose to tail. There's just so many different cuts and iron flavors and indulgent fatty flavors that change throughout the animal that actually makes it a little tougher sometimes to pair (laughs) what we talked about earlier. You know, you have to understand what that cut is. It's not, hey, what do you serve with beef? Well, what kind of beef is it and how are you going to prepare it? That right. lends itself to know at least understanding what I'm going to pair, whether it's side dishes or a wine or a beer or so forth. Well, again, I mean, you look at everything that you just talked about, but the fact that you can take one animal and you can grill it, saute it, braise it, you know, marinate it, serve it carpaccio style, it lends itself to everything. You're, you're not going to go wrong. Definitely not. So one other question is, okay, that's what Chef Don's going to prepare at home for friends and family. How about you go out to dinner? You're going to order some beef. What gets you excited when you go out? When I go out to a restaurant, I always try to choose things that, one, I can't get at home Mm -hmm. or things that I find a little bit more interesting, whether it be a certain preparation of short rib or a braised item that uh, I typically wouldn't have at home just because of time. Those are the items that I gravitate towards because it's just something I typically wouldn't make at home. So you're, you're doing some research. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ultimately, no, no, right? No. When, yeah, I mean, yeah no, I'll tell you what. When I go out to eat, being in the Chicagoland area, there are so many great restaurants in, that I can you know visit. But you kind of narrow down what you got a taste for or what everybody else has a taste for. And then kind of peruse the menu before you go and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to grab this or whatever. That's what I like to do. Because mm-hmm. then it makes the most of the dining experience. And especially when I was at the club, you always wanted to at least come back with some ideas. Sure. So where I'm going with this is that I wouldn't just grab a strip steak with a baked potato. You, know, gotcha. you want to grab something that piques your interest sure. uh, that you wouldn't 
typically have. Yep. No doubt. I mean, for myself, it's if there's something new and exciting, great. I want to try it. But sometimes I just you have a hankering for something, right? You just you need that burger from that local burger joint down the street, and it, you're not trying to figure it all out. You just love that burger, and that's what I want, and that's what I want yeah. to eat right now. But well, as same. a chef, you know, we definitely want to see and learn and see the, all the other different things that people are doing. Recently, I was out to dinner here locally in, in Wichita and uh, and got these olives, and, and they were red olives, and I've never seen them before. And we asked the chef what they were, and they're actually a dyed olive. And for the mm-hmm. life of me, I'm sure it's, it's on my phone somewhere. I can't remember exactly what they were, um, but they were from Italy, and they were delicious. Uh, the red was just sets them apart a little different, and they're dyed with a natural... Uh, Colorant, yeah, it's a, you know. it's a form of Castle Votrano olive. Um, I can't think of the name either. But it was cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of times you see a lot of browns and greens in that olive tray, right? You know, when you get mixed olives. And this just made me go, ooh, look at that. And that was, you know, really interesting. And they were delicious. Um, yeah, that's the one thing about what we do, right? It's not singular. It hits all senses, mm-hmm. sight, smell, taste, touch, even your hearing when you crunch into a wonton, you have all these different experiences all at once. It's ever-changing. It's ever-learning. There's uh, so many culinarians out there that are just pushing the limits, trying new things, whether it's because they're learning from other places they've been and they're adapting those learnings and changing them or they're just experimenting. Luckily, we all get to go out there and experience that, whether we turn it into our style or not, um, but it's pretty cool how that technique and that art is out there for everybody to experience. Yeah. Well, think about it this way, Chef. You can go to a restaurant, let's say like Elenia, and you're going to get the same experience as, as everybody, right? And you might have had to save, you know, a month to go to that restaurant, but you still have that experience. And that's the one thing that I truly love. It's a luxury, but it's a affordable luxury, right? Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have a Bugatti, right? That's not who I am. But to be able to eat and dine and have these experiences that are really special, you know, it's not something I would do every day, but to have the opportunity to do it once a year, it's awesome that it's out there. There's no doubt about that. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Don, and uh, I learned a lot. I hope the listeners learned a lot, but I'll tell you, after all this conversation, though, I'm I'm pretty darn hungry. Thank you so much for sharing all your great experiences, opening my eyes and, and the listeners' eyes to some new ideas and creative ways to utilize beef and other products in the kitchen. So thank you so much. Well, Chef, it was certainly a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Same here, Don. And to all of our listeners, we'd love your feedback on our podcast. Let us know what you think and if there are any topics you'd like us to explore. Just follow the link in the podcast description. In closing, thank you for joining us on In the Kitchen with Sterling Silver. Be sure to join us again as we continue to slice into the amazing world of beef. Until next time, happy eating. To get the next episode delivered to your inbox, subscribe on our website, sterlingsilvermeats.com. Just sign up for our e-newsletter at the top of the page. You can also subscribe on your favorite podcast platforms. And be sure to follow at Sterling Silver Premium Meats on Instagram. Until next time, we'll see you in the kitchen with Sterling Silver Premium Meats.